Hello, hello, hello. Welcome. My name is Billy Samoa Salibi. I have uh, several podcasts and a podcast production company called Podify. I absolutely love the art of interviewing because I think ultimately the greatest way we can curate conversations that matter is when we think about how we can best and most effectively bring out the best in others. And the way in which we do that is through interviewing and discussions that really make an impact on the listener. And ultimately, as a podcaster, I think our primary mission and goal is to be an advocate for our audience. And when we're not advocate for our audience, we're always seeking and figuring out ways to best serve them and provide them with knowledge, entertainment, whatever your show is about, provide them with the type of experience that they want to keep coming back to. So I'm joined up here by my partner in crime, Brendan Kumarasamy. If you don't know Brendan, he's the founder of Master Talk, which is a movement of people who are really doing what it takes to effectively communicate and disseminate ideas that can change the world. He's got a very successful YouTube channel called Master Talk, so go check that out and you could subscribe to the channel. You also can find him here on Clubhouse uh, and always learn from his expertise. He also has a coaching practice, which he works closely with executives and people who really want to understand how to better use communication to get their ideas and to turn into reality. And so Brendan also has been on hundreds of podcasts. He's also studied podcasters. And we've had in-depth conversations about the various podcasters who stand out in his eyes and his ears. And so we're going to talk about some of those folks. And so, Brendan, let's kick it off with, let's talk a little bit about when we think of the great interviewers, who stands out in your mind? Who are the ones that go to the top of the list when you think of outstanding podcast interviewers? Always a pleasure, Billy. And of course, for those who don't know who Billy Samoa Salibi is, he is a co- the co-founder and CEO of Podify. It's an amazing podcast production company he started to amplify the voices of others. He's also a former Tesla executive. But more than that, he's a dear friend, and one of the best interviewers, to your question, Billy, and one of the best that I've seen in the business. So thanks for being here, Billy, as well. Yeah, I would say on my end, having been on the number of shows that I have, I would say the interviewers that stand out are focused on the details. They're focused on every little aspect of what makes an interview great, not just the interview itself. But every single line in the experience leading up to the interview. Number one, the way that we interact when we pitch them on the show. Hey, would love to have you on. There's a very big difference between somebody who goes, hey, you got great stuff, Billy. I'd love to have you on the show versus somebody who says, hey, Billy, I saw you on Clubhouse and I really love these two, three key insights that you shared in this room. Would absolutely love to have you on my show to talk about these two, three things. So what we're doing here is we're conditioning the guest way ahead of time that we're someone of very high quality and that they should take time out of their busy schedule to interview with us. The details matter in everything that we do. And this is all the way through to the interview, the way that we ask questions, to asking for feedback at the end of how the process went. So now the question, to your point, Billy, is who are the interviews that really stand out to me? I would say there's a couple. One is Lewis Howes. I'm really in awe of the way that he interviews guests, the level of focus and attention and presence. He told me once that he spends an average of four hours per guest 
two hours interviewing them, one hour research them with this team who does extensive research on that individual person, and also one hour for connection. And I asked him, why the one hour for connection? What does that mean? And he said, well, I actually have an in-person conversation with them. Maybe it's a lunch. Maybe it's 30 minutes before the show starts, after the show's over. It's that hour that I take to build a relationship with that individual. And I found that super fascinating. And that's why he does such a great job interviewing people. And he also does something else that's super interesting, where he actually stares into the eyes of his guests. He actually intentionally moves the mic in a way where the guest is standing right in front of him or sitting right in front of him, rather. So they're looking at each other eye to eye. And it's a lot easier to build that deep, meaningful relationship with. Of course, some other great podcasters that we all know very well. Joe Rogan, he's a master of communicating with people whose perspectives are completely opposite to his and still maintain a healthy, vibrant conversation. And another interview that stands out as well, in addition to those two, are people who just share knowledge extremely well. You know, a lot of great interviewers are also great podcast guests. And Seth Godin comes to mind as someone who has an exceptionally well-crafted podcast akimbo and that ability for him to disseminate knowledge also makes him a killer interviewer as well. Pause my mic. Over to you, Billy. Yeah, man. So let's, okay, let's dive in on a few things. The details do matter. And I really appreciate the fact that you highlighted something very, very specific, which is the intention that Lewis has when it comes to how he positions the microphone, where he's at, how he's looking in their eyes. What are some other things in that same vein that would be helpful. I, I really want to think of as many of those minute details as possible that either Lewis does or others like Lewis do, because I want to get granular. Let's dissect the nitty gritty details. Any details that stand out, would love to know what your thoughts are. Of course, absolutely, Billy. We'd love to get your thoughts as well on this. I would say for me, one thing in particular that the best interviews do on the planet is they're very good at follow-up questions. I'll give you an example. So let's say I was interviewing Billy. And I ask him about his life and he goes, blah, 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 blah. And this was a very important moment in my life that I really appreciated because of this fact. What most interviewers do is they go to question two. They go, thanks for sharing, Billy. That's awesome. Let's go to question two. Whereas the best interviewers, they pause and say, you just said that was really important. To you. Can you elaborate more on why that is? Why is that an important moment of your life? And what lesson can we get out of that? Now we start getting into the fun stuff. Most of the time, the best guests have great knowledge to share, but as interviewers, we don't create the space to have them share the best possible knowledge. Because remember, everyone, especially when you're interviewing high-end guests who have been on the, their sh hundreds of shows, with those types of people, the goal is not just to do a good interview. The goal is to extract nuggets and gems that no other interviewer has been able to extract. And that's why podcasters like Lex Friedman like Joe Rogan, because they do long form. And of course, everyone's got their own opinion on this. But because they do long form, they have more time with the guest. They spend a lot more time listening. And they ask a lot more detailed, deep follow-up questions that allows them to get insights that no other interviewer on the planet is able to get from them. And this creates a competitive mode. Because when somebody wants to go deep on a specific individual, they'll go to Lex or they'll go to Joe Rogan for that specific episode, or even Lewis, because they don't have time to go through seven interviews of the same person. So that's also something to keep in mind is the way in how we follow up. And also the format as well is important to keep in mind and how people structure the conversation for the outcome that they're looking for. And of course, this works as well in the, the opposite way. 
let's say you want to run a five, 10 minute show and you already know the three insights you want from that guest because you've already done a detailed dive. Well, then you want to give nice layups to that guest to bring up the key insights you want them to bring. And that's also another way of looking at this as well, the opposite way. But format regardless is important to be very thoughtful about. I find the interviewers who just go, yeah, I guess it's two hours because it is, is very different from the interviewer who goes, I actually want this to be three hours because I like going into details. I like going into the depth of somebody and I want to get a lot more insights from them. I just love talking to people. So there's a lot more thought that's put into the format. So the number one, follow-up questions. Number two is the format around how we're structuring the show for the outcomes and the goals that we have for that show. And number three, it's the way in how we interact with guests. The best interviewers interview the best people. And the reason is simply this. The experience they give their guests is so amazing that they just have to introduce them to the best people in their network. Here's an easy tactical way to do this that 99% of podcasters do not do in the space, having met several of them. And the ask is you ask lead-up questions to get them excited about the podcast. Here's a couple of examples. Let's say I'm interviewing Billy in three weeks. I'll say something like this. Hey, Billy, super excited to interview you in a couple of weeks. couple of questions for you if you have time to answer them. Number one is, how do I make this the best interview you ever had in your life? What's one question you always wanted to get answered to that no one is ever asked? And number three, what's one part of your journey that you never get to talk about that you love to elaborate? And would also love two or three links to your best interviews so that I can learn from those interviews as well. Thanks so much, Bill. Excited to interview you. Notice how that makes a world of a difference. A lot more than you would think. To most of us, that's just three or four extra questions. But to the best in the world, they understand that they're conditioning the mind of the guest. Because let me let you in on a little secret. The guest, well, since they're interviewing for 10 other people that day, they're not particularly excited about your show. They're just going to say, well, I guess I do this show. But if you ask them these questions, they go, wow, this Billy guy, this John guy, this anybody, I'm so excited. This is going to be the best intro ever. And when the guest believes it, so it does become as well. Done speaking. Back over to you. Okay. So there's a lot that I think we could unpack there. But one thing stands out, and that is this idea of a competitive moat, which I love the fact that you're bringing it to light in that way. Because we've all heard of competitive moats as it relates to business. And when we have a product, a service, or business, or something that we're able to differentiate ourselves enough and create a, a, a moat around our product, service, business that allows it to thrive in a much more sustainable way. And you highlighted that Lex and Joe, because of the length of their interviews, effectively have a moat around their podcast. What other competitive moats exist or maybe even don't exist that you think could exist if somebody who's listening right now or anybody who's a podcaster was thoughtful about could employ uh, as an interviewer, as a host, what, what have you, what are some ways or ideas either that exist today or could exist if somebody was um, you know very proactive about it? Absolutely, Billy. And just to comment a bit more on the long form podcast, because I know many of you don't run three hour long interviews. The reason why it's effective for those specific people is because you're talking to someone for a lot longer. You're building a personal relationship. So let's say you're interviewing X celebrity for 30 minutes over Zoom. You get to interview them, but you don't have their personal phone number. 
Whereas the people who are interviewing them in person for three hours, most of them got their personal phone numbers. They're texting them. They're keeping the relationship going in a more active basis. And those are the podcasters that that guest ultimately remembers and refers other successful people to the show. So that's a little nugget that I don't think many people know of. The other piece around that is now that we understand that, going back to competitive modes, what are some opportunities and trends that I personally see? And of course, there's many different answers here. But one I'm particularly excited about myself is this idea of optimization of content. So what does that mean? That means the problem with a lot of interview style podcasts that I've seen right now in this space, including the big ones that I've named, is the quality of the information is not always consistent show to show. So it really depends on the guest. If the guest is extremely good, then you're, you're just watching, you're blown away. And then you get to the next episode and you're like, uh, that's not as good as the last episode. So you start comparing the episodes and it's not super good. Very few podcasters are curating the experience of the guest or rather the listener from episode one all the way to episode X, wherever the episode is at. So my recommend or one thing I suggest exploring, which is I'm something I'm looking at with my content, is how do I optimize my content in a way that when somebody finds out about me in the first 60 seconds of them listening to what I have to say, they immediately go, oh, this is somebody I want to follow. Or this guest that Brendan or Billy or someone else has curated is absolutely exceptional every single time they knock it out of the park. So by holding that super high bar of standard, you're creating a very competitive moat because every time you release an episode, people want to watch it because they're used to the high quality that you provide. Chris Doe is also someone who does this really well. He has an amazing YouTube channel called The Future, and he's a big believer of optimizing content as well for the highest possible quality. Dad speaking, back over to you. Yeah, we've talked about this before. One of the things you suggested, which I think is really smart, is finding guests that could be repeat guests. Uh, Maybe talk a little bit about that and how that ties into this idea of optimizing content because you bring up a great point. People want as much value for the time they're going to spend. The return on investment matters. So even Clubhouse, if we're being blunt about it, it's a lot of time to be here on Clubhouse. And a lot of times the rooms are not rich with knowledge or it's up and down. You have one person speak and it's solid and you love it. And you have another person speak and it's worthless. Uh, you know, you and I are speaking right now and I am a huge fan of yours. And so I know that most of what you say is super valuable, but that's not always the case. So how can we optimize content and make that effectively a moat around our show? Is it the idea of bringing on repeat guests or are there other ideas or suggestions you have? Absolutely, Billy. So I, I think there's two approaches to doing this. And there might be a bit more that I might not be aware of, but these two should be a good starting point. Number one is the one that you mentioned. Absolutely spot on. Repeat guests. Why is repeat guests so powerful? The reason is simple. Because you as the podcaster have already built a relationship with that guest, the second time they come on, it's not who is Billy or who is John or who is Sandra. It's oh, Sandra, so great to see you again. I'd love to open up more to you because we're friends now. So the relationship dynamic is completely different, which means you can go deeper and deeper and deeper. A good example of this is Elon Musk and Joe Rogan. Once again, back to the benefit of long-form podcasts, because Joe had a three-hour conversation with Elon, well, he's got his phone number. So I think he's interviewed Elon like three times now, if not two. I forgot if the number was two or three. 
But because he's able to interview him over and over again, he's getting more and more and more insights that no other podcaster gets. And that's why whenever Elon comes, there's like 5, 10 million people who watch that show. So that's, that's the first strategy. But of course, not all of us have access to Elon, so that might not work entirely, but the principle still stays the same. The second one, which is the technique I've opted for with my YouTube channel, is be the only guest. So of course, this only works if you disseminate really high quality content. A great example of someone who does this format is Seth Godin. Seth Godin interviews nobody on his podcast. Every week, it's a solo episode for 20 minutes of just him. I've listened to almost every single episode because I know every single time he opens his mouth, it's super high quality. So I'm always listening start to finish because I'm always curious what he's thinking about this week. That's the second option. What I will say is the option that you end up deciding with really depends on who you are. If you're someone who wants to put the onerous of creating content on yourself and making it high quality, then doing the solo episodes makes more sense. If, on the other hand, you're, you feel you're a lot better at extracting other people's information at a, at a very high world-class level, then you would opt for option one. This is something you're more better at, Billy, than the former. And then option three is actually what you do as well, and many other podcasters do, is you don't need to be stuck between those two options. You could do a mix of both. Some episodes, you're interviewing people that you know are high quality, and other times you're doing solo episodes of one or two or even 10 subjects that you're highly competent in that you know without a hint of doubt will serve your audience to the highest level. Done speaking. So Brendan, one of the things that clearly helps to make a great podcast interview is the guest. There's no bones about it. You get the right guest and you ask them great questions. That makes a great interview. Now, clearly there are any number of people that are on hundreds of podcasts or have been on hundreds of podcasts. And so let's just say right now you're, you've learned a lot by studying podcasters and going on podcasts, but let's say tomorrow you decided you're going to start a podcast. How would you approach curating a list of guests for your show? Because I think one of the key components of an interview is the guest. What would you do to make sure your guests stand out? Beautiful question. So the first thing I would do is what I call a value list. So a value list is something I already do, not in the context of podcasts, but just in the context of life. And a value list is very simple, everyone. All you do is you make a list of the top 25 people in your network or 50 people that are absolutely world-class. And the way that you determine this is different for other people. But for me, my list is comprised of people who tell me things I don't know, very simply. So for example, Billy's advised me on many occasions on topics and ideas that I just didn't know anything about. So he's on my list. My video editor is someone who teaches me a lot about the art of video, the art of YouTube. And of course, wearing suits because I have no clue how to choose the right one. So, <laughs> so he is on my list too. And then of course, there's my artist, the guy who does my thumbnails. And of course, there's people who are just ridiculously smart. So that's and so in the the other reason, which is more of a side note to this conversation, but also very much in it as well, is this value list allows me to constantly look at it and see if I'm adding enough value to those 25 people. So if I haven't messaged Billy in a month and he's on my value list on how I can help him, he shouldn't be on my value list or I should be looking more at the list, which is probably the second option. I should be looking more at the list to see how he can help him. So in the context of starting a podcast, what would happen, Billy? is I would go to these 25 people 
And with the assumption that I've already added a lot of value to the lives, I say, look, you're, you're by far in the top 25 people in my network. You're someone I admire because of XYZ. I'm starting a podcast. Would absolutely love to have you. Here's what we're going to do. And here is what we're going to talk about. That's the first thing I would do. The second thing I would do is spend a lot more time. This is something I'm not good at because I've never had my own show. I've mostly been a guest and a YouTube content creator is I would spend a lot more time researching the guest experience piece to make sure that every single person who comes on my show, they're the it's the absolute best podcast they've ever been on from start to finish. That would be the second thing. The third thing I would do is I would ask them for feedback and follow-up questions whenever possible so that I can get introductions to the other top people. Those are the three things I would do on a baseline. And then through the relationship and the extra time that I would spend building rapport, I would also invite them back to the show right after the interview is over a year from later. I would say something along the lines of, hey, Billy, really appreciate all your insights. You are so awesome, brother. Would absolutely love to interview you next year as well if you're open to it. And they would go up. They would either go no or maybe. If they go maybe, it means you didn't do a good job interviewing them. But if they go absolutely or yes, for sure, then you know that you're nailing the process. Mm. I love it, man. I love the thoughtfulness that you put into it. And clearly we as podcasters owe it to our audience to spend the time on the front end thinking through who's going to provide the type of experience that people will want to keep coming back to. And in order for that to happen, we uh, owe it to them to make sure that every guest we bring on is bringing the the fire, the thunder, the lightning, everything to help make the show stand out. Because let's face it, there is a lot of competition. There's a lot of shows out there. There's a lot of noise. This idea of standing out in the crowd against all the other shows. There's tons of shows about entrepreneurship. There's tons of shows that are interview shows. There's There's just so many shows. And so what, what separates the shows that are worth standing out from those that aren't. And what are those key tenets or pillars that help a show stand out from an interview perspective specifically? Absolutely, Billy. So, so I would say there's three broad categories. Of course, there's others, but just to keep it simple for today's discussion, one is entertainment. Second one is education. And third is edutainment. So edutainment means a mix of education and content. So for me, the podcasts that stand out, stand out in either one of those three areas, or they stand out in category three. So they either stand out because of the level of content and information they share. They either stand out because they're extremely entertaining, or number three, they stand out because they're both entertaining and educational. Right. So a good example of that is, let's say we take Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan's a good example of edutainment, where some episodes, it's pure entertainment. He brings on stand-up comedians, they shoot the shit for three hours. It's absolutely hilarious. And on other episodes, like the one he had with Elon Musk, it's a mix of the two. Sometimes they're talking about really important things. Other times they're smoking weed. It's kind of a mix of the two. And you have these different elements and ideas. But I would say the biggest thing beyond all of these, the podcasts that really stand out, which is surprising, but I mean, not surprising, obvious, but not many people talk enough about, is the podcasts that are the most consistent. 
you know, I, I find the podcasts that show up week after week for 10 years really differentiate themselves from the podcasts that show up week after week for, for 10 months, right? It's the people who are willing to play the longer game. The people who play the longer game end up becoming much better at interviewing. And that skill set, that time that they're investing then plays dividend over time in the same way that, you know, if you had start, if you started an interview show, daily show, like John Lee Dumas does today, it wouldn't have nearly as effect as it would have if you started the same idea when JLD started Entrepreneurs on Fire, right? So it's the same thing. Is the long game allows you to develop your own style, develop your own uniqueness, which is, in my opinion, telling us something that we don't already know about life or entertaining us in a unique way that we've never been entertained before. And then from that uniqueness and that longevity, building the skill set required to then build that competitive mode. I can use myself as an example here. I was a horrible content creator in the first year that I was doing YouTube, like absolutely horrid. I was in my mother's basement. I would make videos with my camera, which was a phone, by the way. And I was sitting on a couch that I think we stole. Though, don't tell my mom that. And every single week, I would just get better on camera over and over again. But my content was really good. So my production value was really bad. And then over time, I got better in all those three areas. And I was able to play that long game and that longevity played off for me a lot. So that's true and consistent with all the best content creators on any platform. And I encourage all of you to follow that. So remember, once again, longevity leads to skill set and skill set leads to competitive moat as you put out more and more shows and figure out what your uniqueness is. The truth finally comes out about the stolen couch, man. I I was wondering if you were going to bring it up. <laughs> uh, but that's hilarious, man. And I, I won't, don't worry. I won't tell your mom about that. So, okay. So uh, in a minute, we're going to go to, to Donna uh, and, uh, or Donya. I'm not sure if it's which uh, way to pronounce it, but we'll go to you in one moment. Just a quick follow-up, Brendan, for you. And because I, I so agree with you that the long-term game, the consistency side of things, and also clearly giving people information that they're not getting somewhere else you know, the whole Chris Doe effect that, that you and I have talked about multiple times, right? You, you want to be providing new information. Uh, and yeah, you do get better. The more you do it, that's one of the beauties of this platform is that you, you have an opportunity to effectively do something very similar to a podcast and you could do it all the time. I mean, you could be hosting rooms all the time and continuing to get better, make mistakes and improve as a creator. And you did that same thing in the YouTube world. Okay, so I'm going to put a little bit of a heat on you here and, and just say, what else allows somebody to stand out? Because I, I, I agree with everything, but I don't want to leave any juice left in the orange, so to speak. What, what else? Because it's so important. One of the things that stands out to me is like the it factor of a show. When I say the it factor, it's like, okay, how can a show have something that other shows don't have it's super easy and quick to explain to others. Uh, I use the idea of a s'mores, like marshmallows, great, chocolate's great, graham crackers, great. You combine them, you got s'mores. It's like a, it's like a movie, right? If you're doing, if you're pitching a movie, you you would say it's Harry Met Sally meets Jurassic Park. I'm making this up, right? But you point being is you sandwich two things together and it creates something new, and so that creates the it factor for your show. How how do 
podcasters in your mind create the it factor or create something that allowed their show to have a leg up on all the other shows that are out there. Cause again, it's super noisy and you, you need that to differentiate yourself. You really are turning up the heat on this one, Billy. I, I would say that in some cases, and I think it's worth mentioning to make sure that we're all not perfect here. And we all acknowledge that things as they go. And Joe Rogan's very open about this. He thought the it factor was really accidental. <laughs> you know, he just kept creating content in the way that he thought made sense. And eventually, people just started watching. It worked out for them. But to be more practical, though, for those of you who are looking for that it factor, I found one consistent thread that all the it factor podcasts have or anything that is unique and exceptional and innovative is that there's a couple of things. So one they study the greats. If you want to know how to differentiate yourself from the greats, you need to understand what the greats are already doing and why they're doing that, those things. So you want to start watching people you admire and really take detailed notes. Don't just stop the logic at, wow, these people are amazing. That's where most people stop the logic. Keep pushing. Ask yourself, what are they doing right or better? What are some of the mistakes that they're making and why are those mistakes apparent? Or why are those mistakes coming up to you? That's one piece. The other piece is saying, what are the things that I believe in, in my industry, in my ideas, in my concepts, that most people in the industry are getting wrong? Here's a good example of this. Around seven years ago, five or seven years ago, don't quote me on the year, Lewis decided to make his whole podcast video. So he would invite guests instead and record video and post it on YouTube. So at the time, almost no podcasters were doing this. It was mostly just him and Joe Rogan and a few other guys and gals. But the reason he, he bet so big on video and invested a lot of money is because he believed at the time that video was the future, regardless of what other people think. So when everyone's zigging, you're zagging. What are the aspects of who you are? What are the aspects of the knowledge that you have that most people think is not true? that most people don't believe in, that most people say, oh, you know what? I don't really want to do that because that's not how things are done. That's where the magic is. That's where the magic is. So the question is, what are the truths that you believe in about your industry, about yourself, about the knowledge, about the things that you believe that most people think is not true? And start developing thought leadership. Start changing the format to meet that. Start thinking in a contrarian way. So contrarian just means Think, think about it from a lens of what are something that you really, really believe in that most people just think is flat out wrong. I'm a great example of this too. You know, I started making YouTube videos, not on vlogs, not on music or even funny stuff. That's what normal people do. I started making YouTube videos with on public speaking. Like who does that? It's so ridiculous. Like why would you make videos on communication? It sounds so boring. So whenever I talk to different people, we're like, Hey, I'm making this YouTube channel on public street. They're like, boring. I don't want to watch that. But what I realized is, wait a second, there has to be a million people in the world somewhere who wants to work on their communication skills. And all the content out there is not as entertaining. It's very focused on content, but not the entertaining side. So notice how I'm developing an opinion about my own industry. So for you who's listening, it probably won't be public speaking. It might be uh, the jungle. It might be animals, podcast about animals. It might be a podcast about cuisine and how 
you spent 10 years as a chef and most chefs in your industry who are podcasting don't understand these seven things. For all of us, it's different, right? And for Elon Musk, it was uh, a shooting uh, spaceships and cars and putting his car that he built on a spaceship that he also built into the sky. So we're all different. But the key is the more we embrace our uniqueness, the more we follow the things that we believe in that everyone else doesn't, the more that we create that it factor because our it factor is who we are because there's only one version of us. Well, you study the greats, have a unique point of view. One of the questions that I like to ask, I learned this from a guy named James Carberry, is what is a commonly held belief in your industry that you passionately disagree with? And it's a great question to ask as an interviewer, but it's also a great question to ask yourself because you all, everyone, myself included, we all have the ability to look at things through our own lens and have our own unique point of view. When we have our own unique point of view, guess what? That in and of itself is a differentiating factor. And when we infuse ourselves into our show and we remind our audience of our own perspectives and, and, and points of view, it does add to the it factor and, and separates the shows that we create from the shows others create because it's our own fingerprint. It's unique to us. Uh, and I also just can't emphasize anymore because it's so important, the value of studying others. So one of the things that I'm doing now is I'm, I'm doing that and I'm also doing it for others because I'm doing a deep dive on a lot of great podcasters and really dissecting what they do well. What are the things that help to create an amazing show? And they're going to be on my YouTube channel as well as my podcast for the love of podcast. So, uh, Brendan, thank you so much. And, and please stay here because I, we're going to go for probably another 15, 20 minutes. I want to welcome Dina upstage. Dina, good to see you. It's been a little while. Your creative corporate networking, branding coach, speaker, Comedian, producer, what don't you do? Uh, we had a chance to meet over Zoom, and it's good to see you. Welcome to this room. We'd love to get your thoughts. If you have a question or an insight, the floor is yours. Thank you, Billy. And hey, Brendan, uh, also a for I am a former Montrealer, born and raised there. So that city has definitely bred a lot of interesting talent. Um, I love, love, love what you're saying about being unique. And that was kind of my cue <laughs> to come on stage because I pretty much made my career and my brand and my life about being different and not fitting in. I mean, I didn't choose that as a kid in high school. I think most of us went through stages of, oh, I don't feel welcome. I feel different. I feel left out. And making sure that people do feel included and heard and validated for who they are, which is just a general life thing. In terms of podcasting, and this is absolutely leading to a question, I love being a guest. Um, that edge, I love, 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 Brandon, what you said about edutainment. Um, I've always been a coach. I've always been funny. I took up stand-up comedy and integrated into my brand. And now that term has become more acceptable in, in the workforce and often talking about humor in the workplace and uh, laughter therapy and it's therapeutic. One of the issues that I've noticed, and I'm, I'm definitely not an expert on running a podcast because to me, knowing my lane as a guest, the um, it's hard to start your own podcast, the production, the planning, 
I really feel that it's not a one person effort. And I am so impressed with the people that do run their podcasts and bring me on as guests. But here's one of the things I've noticed that I, I have a question for you guys about. Um, there's a bunch of podcasts I've been listening to recently. So I'm brand new to those podcasts. And at the beginning, they always say, like my podcast, go subscribe, give me a five-star rating. Now, I love marketing. I understand marketing. But I just tuned into your podcast. I don't know what you're going to talk about. I'm not giving you a five-star rating because you need it. And the more I listen to the episodes, each one takes up a good two to three minutes. I don't feel like listening through that. So and here's the question is, how do we get what we need for marketing, but without turning off our listener in the first two to three minutes? That's my question. I hope it was clear enough. Um, my name's Fireball Dina. I'm done. <laughs> so just, just to clarify, Dina, so you're saying that if you're, can you repeat the, the, the question itself? Sure. Cause I got all the, the setup, but I just want to make sure I'm understanding the question itself. <laughs> yeah. Comedian who needs to learn to maybe cut down the setup and edit a bit. Um, the, these podcasts that I've been listening to, and ironically, they're all podcasts on ADHD, which I just found out I have at 52 years old. So yeah, very unique. Um, they start off by saying, you know, we, we want your support. Uh, go subscribe. Give us a five-star rating. Follow us on Facebook at the beginning of the podcast before they've even gotten into it. And I find that a big turnoff. And it's not just ADHD podcasts. It's like, you have to earn my trust. You, you should absolutely market and ask me to support you. I get that as a marketer. But in the first couple of minutes... That's not how I would start a show or grab an audience's attention. So how do we balance the need for people to subscribe and follow and support mm. uh, authentically and like earn it is my point. Yeah, I mean, it's a great it's a great point. And I think the thing that all of us have to think about is when's the right time to ask for action? A call to action in my book should be earned and in order for it to be effective, it's got to be really easy for someone to do. So the minute you start doing, oh, review and go to my course and do this and do that, like you're giving people too many things to do. So I'd say one is simplify, have one call to action. And the second thing is do it at the time where you think you're going to have the most goodwill and the most support. To your point, the beginning of a show, it may not be the optimal time. But I would say that if you're a host and you know your audience and you feel the love and support and you think that by putting it in the front, you're going to get higher traction, test it out. I think there's no, there's really no rule. I mean, there are suggested best practices, but I think break rules, break what convention tells you. And try to do it a way that will make the most sense for you. And so I don't think there's a cookie cutter answer to your question. Although I do feel that when we ask people to do something, the more simple we can make it, the more clear we could be. And timing is everything in life, just like it is when you're asking somebody to do something in a podcast. So I'd say uh, that would be the, the best way I could answer that question. But great question. What what else, Dina? Anything else on your mind? Because you're obviously a, a guest on shows and from a perspective of a guest, anything stand out in your mind or any other uh, ins any other insights or questions? 
Absolutely. And actually, what you when you were talking, I thought, you know what? Why don't we bring out that edutainment portion and make it fun for people to want to subscribe instead of having all that blah, blah, blah. Turn it into a song, make it a joke. And and my creative brain is going to go off and come up with ideas for that. But I think it could actually be an opportunity for fun and setting yourself apart or at least showing the voice of your unique of your show. Um, the other issue I find, and it's also an opportunity as a guest, right? I, I do believe it's our, it is our responsibility to help promote the show. It serves us. It serves our host. We know the host would like the guests to help promote it. Um, sometimes it's kind of just left up to whoever. Sometimes they provide assets. I think the more that hosts and guests can talk a little bit about the expectations and also provide if a host gives me assets, it's really easy for me to put it on my stories. If there's a script or a template or hashtags, like knowing ahead of time when it's going to come out, if it's not the same day, if they have preferred language or text, like just make it super easy for your guests to promote that episode. Uh, it helps them. It helps you give your host any hashtags that you have, but make it a joint effort and that's the thought. I mean, I'd love to hear what you guys also yeah. think about adding to that. Well, I'd say the, the key word that you just said is easy. How do you make it easy on the guest? And yes, the other important word is communication. So make it as simple as possible, just like you make the call to action simple. Make promoting your show super, super easy. To your point, if you give valuable assets that will make the guest look good and you make it super easy for them to share it in their stories or other places online, they're more likely to do so. Click to tweet is a great example where you set up a tweet for them. All they have to do is press a button and it automatically tweets for them. So those are a couple examples, but I would say have a template and I have a, a template that I use that I got from Harry Duran that really makes it super easy for a guest to do all the things necessary to help promote your show. I also think it's important to not have expectations of your guests that are unreasonable because in the end, in a lot of cases, they're doing you a favor. It also depends on the guest and there are a lot of variables and factors. I've had guests that were so eager to promote the show, I wasn't even able to give them everything they needed. And then I've had other, of course, the opposite end of the spectrum where they didn't promote the show at all. Um, but what I will say is if you have a, a template and I actually... Um, I think I have it on a for the love of podcast.com, but I'll, I'll make sure that I do. I'm, I'll, I'll put it at for the love of podcast.com forward slash. Um, we'll call it a guest, a guest letter. And I'll, I'll put, I'll put it there. And it's basically a template that I got from Harry Duran, which outlines exactly what he sends to his guests and has click to tweet. has a bunch of assets. So I'll, I'll add that. He sent it to me and I'll, I'll make sure. It's at for the love of podcast forward slash guest letter. And then I'll put that up after we're done here because I don't think it's there right now. Uh, but but point being, Dean, and it's a great point. Make it make it simple, make it easy for them. And yes, if you if you provide things that make the guest look really, really good, they're gonna want to share it. And that's really the trick to doing it is you you find pieces from the show where that person shines, where they stand out. So love this. Cool. Dina, I uh, want to thank you for being here. And Brendan, I know it, it was super, super valuable. 
Um, we're going to close down here in, in just a minute. want to see if anybody else has any final questions. Go ahead and raise your hand. Otherwise, we'll wrap up this room. Uh, it's been a fun session. Uh, hopefully, you got some value from it. Please remember that by joining Rooms and Club Pod, you do get access to Podcast Magazine. So go to podcastmagazine.com forward slash free and you'll get an access to Podcast Magazine, Podcast Magazine, a lifetime subscription. So that's really cool that that is something that Steve Ulsher provides for any Club Pod members. Also, please take a moment to follow anybody that you want to hear from again. If you liked this session and you want to hear it again or a room like it, go ahead and follow Brendan. You can follow me. You can follow Dina. Follow anybody else that you happen to look at their profile and found some interest in. Um, and so I want to thank everyone for being a part of this community. One of the most beautiful things about being a podcaster is you have so many people around you to support you. And to me, that's one of the, the greatest benefits of being in this space is that it's not cutthroat. It's very collaborative and people share what they're doing to help make their shows successful. And it's a very supportive community. So just want to say thank you to everyone for being a part of this. And remember, everything we do, we do it for the love of podcast. Thank you.